0: You are listening to the ESG & Coffee podcast on investment, strategy, and sustainability,
1: hosted by Graham Sinclair. We are seeking to provide for our clients financial well-being and to make a positive impact through their investments, period. And I guess my, what I would go on to say is that we don't see any contradiction in those two yeah. Objectives. It's often, you know, it's often in the past been presented as a either or. Wow. So for us, there it isn't an either or. It's an absolutely necessity to do both. Some of the work that we do as engagement professionals to be akin to kind of working with folks. You know, we're allies. We're allying with folks internally who are making the case about these pesky investors who keep on asking for these reports and this disclosure, you know, Um, and I jokingly say, you know, if you need us to be the bad guy, by all means, make us a bad guy. But but there's also the attitude that, to your point about Larry Fink, there is an increasing recognition from the absolute top echelons of firms that these issues are significant, cannot be ignored,
2: Mm. and there
1: has to be a robust, thoughtful response. I am still optimistic Um, and glad that I work in, you know, kind of a part of our investment ecosystem, which is pushing hard to address these issues.
3: I'm excited for you to listen to the interview with Lisa Hales, investment manager at Trillium Asset Management in Boston, Massachusetts, USA. I first met Lisa in London in the late 2000s, when she was working for one of the original ESG research and analysis shops. It was called Iris, and it's now part of Moody's ESG. We shared a memorable late-night black cab ride adventure with colleagues across the city. In this interview, maybe you'll also be as impressed as I am by Lisa's thoughtful responses and her enthusiasm for the work, no matter how hard it gets. Lisa sees no trade-off between growing investment returns for her clients by selecting portfolio companies that are meeting the needs of society within planetary boundaries. She's working for an investment shop that is a fundamental bottom-up active manager. Lisa has been a leader in helping also to create pathways for those who have not had privileged access to the investment field. Maybe she has helped you too. When I asked Lisa to go to the edge at the Greenfin 21 conference recently in the session on diversity, she did. She spoke frankly about her own journey and her good and bad experiences and the poor diversity in our investment industry in a way I'd never heard of at an investment event. In our conversation, you'll hear how Trillium uses a team of five in its advocacy and have engaged with 1,089 companies in the last year, including Alphabet in the 2021 proxy season and which led to their proxy resolution being voted on around improved whistleblower protections after the drama at Google's artificial intelligence unit. Maybe you read about that. Lisa is happy to be the quote pesky investor asking questions unquote, as she is an ally with internal change makers who are looking to make ESG positive investment action happen on issues from diversity to waste management to Arctic drilling to not financing climate change. Lisa makes the case for systems level thinking in a way that investors need a functioning democracy to ensure. Better investment prospects. Listen in for all the experience that Lisa shares so generously with us. Celebrate also Lisa's career highlight. She helped a large family office with three generations working together trying to shape their first ever sustainable investment strategy. A reminder: Yichi and Coffee is not investment advice, do your own research. Here is my interview with Lisa Hales. She's one of the originals. I am pleased to welcome to the ESG and Coffee podcast today, one of the originals making ESG positive investment happen. Lisa Hales, investment manager at Trillium Asset Management. Please check the episode note for more. She's on Twitter at LMHales, where she uh, describes herself as expat Canadian in responsible finance dash not an oxymoron, exclamation mark views of my own. Good to know. And then on LinkedIn, she describes herself as enthusiastic results oriented, sustainable investment professional who brings 18 plus years of experience in advising institutional investors in the design and implementation of responsible investment strategies. Welcome, Lisa Hales.
1: Thank you, Graham. It's great to be here.
3: It's lovely to have you. Where in the world are you today?
1: I am in beautiful Cambridge, Massachusetts, uh, in Central Excellent. Square, kind Excellent. Of between Harvard and MIT.
3: Are you worried about um, some snow showing up in April, often that used to happen and uh, kind of ruin the spring feeling in Boston?
1: You know, uh, one of my closest friends is a big skier. so. There are those amongst my friend group who are hoping, but I certainly hope we've seen the last of the snow and it's looking good. It's okay. been mild for several weeks, so.
3: Okay, yeah, cross, cross your fingers. And starting at the beginning, ESG and coffee podcast, <laughs> meeting at your local coffee shop or cafe, uh, what would I be ordering you from the counter?
1: I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm part of the OG in terms of coffee, not too fancy. I just like, I guess what would be called an Americano in Europe. Yeah uh with a little bit of milk not even cream All
2: right.
1: and i also go for black in the okay. summertime like a nice, a nice a nice black iced coffee um nice. but yeah nothing nothing i mean i've had mochaccinos cappuccinos etc but right. that's what i have with me today just a regular coffee in my canadian mug
3: <laughs> superb well i just happened to grab my uh, cnbc africa special this is at Ooh. least a decade old so there you go Cheers to very that. nice Right, let's flick on then. So at the beginning, we look back. Uh, Sir David Attenborough's superb Netflix documentary, Our Planet. Did you did happen to see that? Have you seen that at all?
1: I have not seen it.
3: Okay, it's a, it's a good one. He references two significant data points, which illustrate the exponential changes on our planet in his lifetime. So I've asked you as my guest, as I do uh, every time, to check on three data points, and I'm going to um, ask you for each data point. You'll answer them and then we'll compare. So, in the year you earned your first career paycheck, which you do not have to tell us unless you choose to, roughly how much was each data point, world population?
1: Uh, I checked, it was 5.368 billion.
3: Wow, okay. Uh, S&P 500?
1: The S&P 500 was at 417.9.
3: Wow. And carbon dioxide parts per million in the air? 357.23 man happy days eh? okay happy happy. days so for reference for our audience today the population around 7.9 billion s p 500 3889 odd that's amazing compared to where we were and then co2 equivalent it's just crossed i saw this morning just crossed over 417 parts per million which is in Mm dangerous territory, as we well know, and we'll talk about yeah. it in a bit more detail. So Lisa Hales, how did it feel to look up those data points and and, and compare?
1: Well, it made me think, God, I'm old.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, but secondly, and more importantly, uh, it underlined the urgency of addressing uh, the carbon crisis and you know the kind of intertwined crises that we have around income inequality, um, equity, uh, environmental sustainability. So
2: mm.
1: I was mm. thinking about my optimism
2: <laughs> as a young graduate. To that right?
1: I am still optimistic. Um, Good. I'm glad that I work in a you know, kind of a part of our investment ecosystem which is pushing hard to address these issues.
3: Absolutely. Um, uh, Rev- Reverend uh, Desmond Tutu, Archbishop Desmond Tutu used to say uh, optimism can come and go in ways, what have you, but underlying it all is that hope. And, and I think that's part of our conversation um, mm-hmm. and that we'll have today. So let's uh, flick forward then to some fast questions. Um, are you ready for a quick espresso shot? Five questions, set. I
2: am. All okay. right, here we go.
3: What is your earliest memory of investing?
1: I can remember, um, so in Canada, where I grew up,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, Canadian children used to get uh, what was called a baby bonus or parents used to get a baby bonus, like a payment. Oh, wow. And my oh, parents wow. allowed me uh, to, or they invested that money in savings bonds. So that's what okay. I remember as a child, wow. investing in Canada savings bonds, Okay. Uh, some of the money that my parents put aside or rather the Canadian government actually right. paid to parents uh, for their children.
3: And was it in like a little paper a document or how, how did you? Well,
1: no, I, you know, my parents established a bank account for me okay. and I did. Yes, we did get actual. These were when you actually got right. paper certificates. Yes. Which were kept in, a, I think, a, um, a safety deposit box right.
2: at the bank, right? right? So once right. a
1: year you'd get yeah. to go. And, go. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah.
3: That's wonderful. Right. Yeah. Uh, what is your philosophy of investing in one sentence?
1: First, do no
3: harm. Ah, nice. What switched you on to ESG?
1: Volunteering as an undergraduate uh, for both Amnesty International and Oxfam.
2: Huh. And yep. that'll do it. <laughs> so
1: that's, I've, and my first job out of college was working uh, for a microfinance okay. Uh, NGO. Okay. And so I spent a lot of my career working in, at what I call the intersection of kind of social justice concerns and private mm-hmm. enterprise.
2: Mm-hmm. So I,
1: I think those things can be held together, yeah. and yeah. I'm glad that I've, frankly, been able to build a career that has allowed me to bring those two sides of my interests together.
3: Yeah, wonderful, wonderful, and it's true, it is a building that you've had to do, yeah. Uh, okay, next question, how do you choose to define sustainable investment or responsible investment or investing with ESG factors in less than 30 words?
2: Ugh. I
1: hate that question. Sustainable investing is investing that seeks to consider all factors relevant to the long-term performance of companies in an investment portfolio.
3: Simply. That's pretty good. Yeah, I'd bank that. <laughs> and last question, our first set of five, a special question. What is your biggest investing mistake so far? Not
1: not buying uh, Apple <laughs> when I had the chance yeah. back in yeah. the early yeah.
3: 90s. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, mine's much more recent. I uh, bought uh, the vehicle, not the stock of Tesla. And I love my vehicle, but should have brought the stock. Yeah. Indeed, feel the
2: pain. yeah. Indeed. Okay,
3: great. So let's go into our first of three deep dives then. Uh, and each of these, we kind of unpacking as, as much as we can, different aspects of your role, and then, you know, you, you, your shop at Trillium uh, Asset Management. So mm-hmm. opening with question one, then, just to situate you for the audience, the, the investment value chain got many parts to it, those that... Uh, gather assets, those that mm, uh, implement uh, the investment strategies, those that uh, shape or develop the products that are involved, those that do the research, um, those that um, actually engage with the companies. So which piece on this investment value chain are you, Lisa, and uh, what role does your shop play and not play?
1: Yeah, so I am a gatherer of assets, essentially. So I sit as part of the private client team at Trillium so I'm working with high net worth families often multi-generational as well as foundations endowments etc and our typical clients uh, are between say five and 25 million in assets though so there are some significantly larger than that clients amongst our, our client base but Trillium as a firm is also a manufacturer of strategies so we offer seven strategies, um, mostly in the U S space, U S large cap, small and mid cap. We have a sustainable opportunity strategy. We also have a global equity strategy, which invests both in the U S and, uh, internationally. And so for our clients, we have, um, what we call a quasi open architecture because okay. I build portfolios across asset classes, equities, fixed income, right. community investments. And we also have a private equity fund of funds, which is only for Trillium clients. So that's not something we sell outside of the, the Trillium client base. Okay. And so for, for clients, I'm building portfolio. You know, we also do um, manager research on external managers for some of the asset allocations that we fill on behalf of our clients. So okay.
3: that, That's very, very helpful. And I, you get bonus points when you're using the word investment manufacturer. I think you're the first <laughs> in season one to use that. <laughs> Also, you get triple bonus points for inviting some birds outside your window. And that bird <laughs> song is a gift to this interview. And I'm, I
1: I'm, was thinking my window is open because no, no, it, it's it beautiful. Be, yeah, is yeah. It? I'm very fortunate to have a number of very happy birds mm-hmm. right That's
3: outside. That's a positive externality. Unfortunately, we have to deal with the long the negatives. Let's keep the positive. Yeah.
2: Let's keep the
3: positive. All right. And then um, a simple question. Uh, How does one buy your investment uh, or finance product and service? Where does one go to to buy it and how how do you buy it?
1: Yeah. So private clients often come to us directly or sometimes through advisors. Um, We have an institutional part of our business that Mm -hmm. works with investment consultants. But if you're a retail client, there's Mm -hmm. probably uh, one of two ways. You may visit our website and like download forms there's actually a, a section that's on the that um, okay. makes documents available on the mutual fund okay. or more likely you work um you might work through a broker dealer right so our strategies are available through models on a through a number of broker dealer platforms okay. uh, so you okay. may access us that way as okay. well
3: and and so would you buy it through your 401k or 43 b through your retirement plan or um
1: there aren't very many of our strategies available that way people do help hold our strategies in their IRAs and that's, okay. that's very, very
2: common. Okay.
1: Um, yeah, that's the most common way yeah. we're not, though. that may change. I will just uh, hasten to add that you may, or I'm not sure if we're going to talk about this later, but Chilean was acquired by a larger, uh, financial services firm called perpetual okay. last summer okay. and perpetual, um, committed to us maintaining our focus on ESG investing is going to be providing and has already started to build out marketing and distribution for us. So they see ESG as an enormous growth area and they're freeing up our time to focus um, kind of on clients and on the creation of our strategies, whereas they can push the marketing and distribution. And so that team will be responsible for, um, you know, trying to get on retirement platforms, for example.
3: Got it. And, and then uh, uh, I wasn't going to cover this, but because we are talking about the distribution piece and, and how do you buy it. So are, mm-hmm. are any of your strategies yet in a, in an ETF structure? Is that something you're exploring or it doesn't fit your strategy?
1: No. Uh, as far as I'm aware, no. I mean, Trillium is a bottom-up fundamental right. stocking right. shop. Right. Uh, right. Active managers, active management. Um, right. So as far as I'm aware, no.
3: Got it. Okay, good. So then let's move on to kind of how Trillium tells their story. And uh, my open end question you know, you have a motto or a strap line that you find yourselves always using, or it's on your website or, or, or on Twitter, so on and so on. So, what is the, the Trillium one liner that kind of pitches Trillium to the world?
1: So, we say Trillium is we are seeking. To provide for our clients' financial well-being and to make a positive impact through their investments.
2: Okay.
1: Period. And I guess my, what I would go on to say is that we don't see any contradiction in those two
2: yeah.
1: objectives. It's often, you know, it's often in the past been presented as a either or. Wow. So for us, there it isn't an either or. It's an absolutely necessity to do both. Yeah. Uh,
3: yeah, good. Okay, great. So, uh, moving on then in terms of, of deep dive in section one. So, the big themes for 2021, um, uh, you know, the many themes I've seen a lot of work and we've seen through the proxy season around uh, climate change, around um, uh, racial tensions and equity and inclusion. So, those seem to be two big themes I'm seeing across um, a lot of the and your general meeting activity and proxy season for 2021. I did look at your form uh, ADV that you posted for 2021. It talks a bit about areas that you're not in and areas where you look to avoid companies. One of my favorite sentences, just because it it just reads well is, we avoid investing in the hard rock mining or nuclear power industries. And I was just so dying for someone to do a type error and leave out the mining part. (laughs) <laughs> that kind of questions you had back, you know, oh, we don't do hard rock or nuclear power. It's like, what? Right. It's not us. So I'm, I'm just, I'm just having fun there. But in terms of your big themes for 2021, what what are they?
1: Yeah. So I think um, on the investment side, we've actually been talking a lot about resilience across the board and how we Yeah. Uh, will try and explain what we've seen for the past more than 40 years is a kind of shrinking of the government, uh, an outsourcing approach that sees like the squeezing of every last cent out of every process
2: Mm -hmm.
1: uh, is the, you know, kind of goal and the objective. And that leaves systems, communities, completely vulnerable to disruptions. And I think what we've seen with COVID Mm -hmm. has been the you know the culmination of what happens when you extract from systems until Mm -hmm. they reach their breaking point right and we talked about this actually in our quarterly update or rather, my colleague uh cheryl smith who's our um kind of chief strategist and Mm -hmm. economist Mm -hmm. uh, and provides the kind of macro view for trillium strategies you know there's been this this completely kind of shrinking of the government and at the same time this um this outsourcing uh, restricting of or ex- um, squeezing of companies, uh, manufacturing, supply chain, uh, extraction uh, mm-hmm. processes, and so our view is this: um, you know, what happens with these types of trends is that they kind of they go so far, they overextend, and then they they yeah. you know there's yeah. a there's a pullback, and yeah. we're now in the midst of the start of the pullback with. Yeah. With things like the announcement of the American Rescue Plan, the planned infrastructure— um, mm-hmm. who knows if that will actually pass in the form that is, is proposed? Infrastructure
3: week yet? I'm just checking. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you know, we see you know, and, and our portfolios essentially have been positioned with the view that resilience is an, an incredibly important part of ensuring that companies and the portfolios themselves will perform well over time. So we've mm-hmm. tried to favor those companies. That have, in our view, kind of built in a sense of the importance of treating their employees well, having a supply chain that is that has proper oversight, et cetera, and where you know, as all, there's no perfect company, there's no perfect investment. Used our voice uh, to influence companies um, in a direction that we think is is in their long term uh, best interest, You know, to pay attention to these issues. So resilience. Kind of cuts across multiple issues right. multiple um polls climate change for sure remains a huge focus for us i mean our core strategy is fossil fuel free but climate change is relevant across
2: yeah. Yeah. all
1: yeah. sectors mm-hmm. and so we're interested in understanding bank financing right. and reducing energy use throughout the supply chain mm-hmm. and doing uh, uh you know providing us as investors with more information on mm-hmm. greenhouse gas emissions that are based around the science-based targets. Yes. So all those uh, dimensions are, are a significant part of what we're doing. And then a third um, focus is actually on, on racial justice, not surprisingly. Mm-hmm. So our uh, investment team, our fundamental analysts have undertaken uh, a racial equity survey of every single company in our portfolio really? over the past year. Yes. Really? So we have been discussing, I sit as well as all my uh, colleagues Mm
2: -hmm.
1: hidden on our investment management committee meetings, which are weekly. And we've Mm -hmm. been hearing the results of those, um, Mm -hmm. that that survey work, which is really to understand the kind of, it's a benchmarking exercise, like where are you now? And the next step is really for the fundamental analysts to be thinking about how is this going to play into Mm -hmm. our analysis and our kind of, we do an internal ranking, uh, benchmarking of companies and across Mm -hmm. sectors. And so that racial equity uh, research will, will feed into Mm -hmm. uh, the benchmarking process that Mm -hmm. is undertaken uh, in 2021 into
2: 2022.
3: Mm -hmm. So that primary research, I really like that uh, kind of rolling up their sleeves, and getting getting that information
1: we I, I mean that is one of the ways or one of the things i think that really sets trillium apart there are many firms that have uh you know esg products and esg overlay so not only has trillium been been integrating the consideration of esg issues or mm-hmm. uh since inception mm-hmm. but um unlike many firms, we do not have our fundamental equity analysts are responsible for the ESG analysis. We do have, um, two ESG specialists who support the fundamental analysis work. And they're often, um, most relevant where we do the sector benchmarking on an ESG basis. Mm -hmm. So they're coming in to kind of identify what issues matter in the sector and how companies are performing compared to their peers. But our ESG, our fundamental equity analysts are asking questions around ESG performance. They ask the questions around racial equity, followed up with okay. investor relations. Okay. Um, and I think it's, it really, it is, it changes the dynamic and the discussion when, um, you know, the, the equity analysts are asking these questions.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
3: Um, yeah. And um, there's a piece, so that makes me jump over then to there's a piece I was going to ask around how, you, how the shop looks at ESG risks and opportunities. And there's a piece in the form ADV that says, um, Trillium evaluates and scores companies on their ESG performance, which our analysts use to determine the companies available in our universe and the companies we wish to include in our buy list. Mm-hmm. So, so is that primary survey happening with, I guess it's already happening with what's in your buy list. So they've already absolutely
1: the survey. The racial equity survey was focused on companies which were already in our buy list. So companies which are already eligible for inclusion in what, and that actually is around 200 companies across all of our strategies.
3: Well, that's not small. I mean, how long does it take?
1: So it's been this research started in the fall. Okay. I am incredible. I mean, I was incredibly impressed with the tenacity of the equity analysts pursuing. This focus, and I do um, credit our chief investment officer, John Quayle, for really articulating how important we believe this. You know, he's said uh, unequivocally, this is an area that we do not feel we've paid enough attention to in the past. We are going to bring resources to bear on this. We want to think about, you know, in a careful, systematic way how this, how these issues. Mm. are playing out in the companies in our portfolio and how they may do so Mm. in the future
2: Mm.
1: and you know uh, all of our investment analysts they are very you know every single one of them has a cfa um they are all conventionally trained if you like
2: yeah
1: Yeah. and they also are incredibly motivated Mm -hmm. to understand and really dig into issues that go beyond
2: mm-hmm. what
1: can simply be. Because a lot of these things, you know, we think we don't believe, for example, that we're necessarily going to come up with a number yeah. like hey, here's the racial equity score yeah. that's right. going to feed into our model. Yeah. That's not exactly how we believe yeah. it will, um, you know, will sort out. But we do think this information is highly relevant. And the fact that the analysts have embraced this process is really yeah, I know. It's like as a relative newcomer to Trillium, I've been impressed with that. Right. Um, we've actually been um, been getting the reports on. We've we've had reports by sector, so uh-huh. we've we basically been hearing the feedback that the analysts have collected over the past kind of three weeks, essentially. So it's it's okay. it's essentially fresh off the presses. Wonderful. This Wonderful. won't be um, published in summary probably until the spring of next year.
2: Okay.
1: As we work out kind of how the, you know the you know, which of the indicators we've selected might actually feed into a benchmarking process across sectors. Yeah. Um, but you're hearing it here first.
3: Yeah, wonderful. <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for trusting the podcast with that. And, and yeah, my, my instant uh, your reflection is, you know, this is part of the differentiation strategy that you're able to deliver as yeah. a smaller shop, you know, you're not some megalith investor, also you're active managers, not passive. So I can see, how it makes a lot of sense, but even intellectually, I hope so my encouragement to you in the shop would be, can you find a way at the time with their appropriate level of detail to feed this into the public discussion, either in, you know, in the Boston universe, which is rich in itself intellectually, but also broadly to say in the CFA Institute, because I know they're keen to investigate and then just broadly into the space. I think anything that is research led Uh, and kind of um, thoughtful analysis, but looking also at the mechanics of how do you make investment decisions, I think that would uh, add to the body of knowledge.
1: Yeah, no, I think we're, we're definitely um, interested in doing that and want to, I mean, Trillium is, has been a leader in ESG, has been an ESG thought leader for decades, Mm. and anyone who visits our website, there is a huge area of, you know, there's a huge resource page and white papers on different uh, ESG themes and talking about total portfolio activation. So part of what, you know, part of our, we believe that part of our mission is to promulgate some of the work that we have been doing. So I think you'll definitely see something. I'm not exactly okay. sure when, because there's a lot of work that we're doing internally on this yeah, I appreciate work. that.
2: Yeah, um, yeah.
1: But yeah, no, I agree with you that um, it should be shared. It should be, you know, we'd like to influence as a wide a number of investors as we can. You know, our, right. our goal is to bring investors along uh, to invest right. more like we do.
3: <laughs> that would be good. That would that be would very be good. good. Very good. Okay. So let's round out um, deep dive part one with, uh, let me pick this question. I've got one, and one more question, then we'll, we'll close part part one of three. So carbon footprint analysis, you referenced earlier, it's one of the themes for the year. It's in the industry. Uh, there's a lot of focus, of course. One quick question. And this is partly relates to something I've seen from an asset um, allocator due diligence questionnaire. Mm-hmm. So how do you and your firm conduct carbon footprinting, temperature mapping, if you do, and or climate scenarios modeling analysis um, in, in your portfolios?
1: So we do do carbon footprinting and we have done, we've published for each strategy since 2016 Okay. Uh, a carbon footprint analysis using uh, data from external uh, vendors
2: mm-hmm.
1: so we've just um, switched vendors I'm not sure if I could say that because uh, I'm not sure what this data so we we had an internal briefing uh, okay. very recently on a kind of new approach to um, carbon metrics because okay. uh, the, our our ESG analysts had found data that they thought was more comprehensive. Interesting. um, You know, so they're constantly reviewing third-party data in order to understand that. That is, I mean, for something like that, we are, um, you know, we're not doing, we're not collecting (laughs) primary data on greenhouse gas emissions um, from each of the companies in our portfolio.
2: Okay.
1: We do, and partially because this is something that we've seen requests from investment consultants and also from clients just about like how does your portfolio compare to the benchmark how do you compare Mm -hmm. to other investment managers in terms of the carbon you know the carbon intensity uh, of your portfolio so those types of questions are more common i would say in the last three to five years and they you know we didn't hear those questions before and so um, our response has been to try and provide some standardized data quantitative both so we do impact reports on a strategy basis and also for our um, our firm overall. And on a strategy basis, so we're reporting on kind of the carbon footprint of the portfolio, the carbon intensity, mm-hmm. also some metrics around shoulder engagement, et cetera, on the kind of the, the uh, impact that we're having side, which you know we can talk about mm-hmm. later. We don't okay. really do um, scenario analysis other than I mean, I think in broad terms, we have a belief as a firm that we are shifting towards a lower carbon economy. We are trying to favor those firms which are positioned uh, across sectors um, to take advantage of that, that, that shift. That, And we're also advocating for the, a regulatory environment that supports a more rapid transition to that right. shift. So right. we are... Um, and that's often in conjunction with some of our clients. You know, we work with environmental NGOs, The Sierra Club Foundation is one of our clients, for example. Okay. Um, we work with the Environmental League of Massachusetts. So there, there are um, there are a number of environmental organizations where you know we've actually testified alongside them at at the State House, for example, right. around um, things like divestment from fossil fuels, which was yeah. probably, that was a huge issue um, in Massachusetts because. Uh, a local, you might know this, the city of Somerville tried to dig yes. divest and yeah. then was was told by uh, the state that they were not allowed to do right. that.
2: Right.
1: Um, yeah, so we were, we, we participated in order to say, hey, you could build a, a fossil fuel free portfolio that is completely consistent with your fiduciary duty and performs yeah. in a very similar way to, to a portfolio, or even better, yeah. <laughs> a yeah. portfolio that may have fossil fuels. Good. And,
3: Thank you. So, so then let me add um, section one with a, 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 a new on a detailed question.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And that is, uh, if we look at the key performance indicator, and I'm having more and more of these conversations and it tells me a lot based on how people answer or what the numbers are. So yeah. What price for CO2 equivalent per tonne does your firm use internally for your own operations
2: mm-hmm. and
3: what price for CO2 equivalent per tonne is in your portfolios? How, how would you answer that?
1: So I discussed this with a couple of our portfolio managers and analysts yesterday and they said, well, we don't really use a price. So I'm sure, sorry to that I'm not able to answer that in a succinct, like this is the price that we use. Um, we do offset you know our travel and you know our operations so i imagine if i talk to our offset provider i would be able to find out the price that they are offsetting okay
2: uh
1: Uh, you know our internal operations
3: app i'd be happy so if you based on the answer that you get we've got time um in the edit so if you want to send me anything like which vendor you're using or something we can in the in the show notes
0: You are listening to the ESG and Coffee podcast, hosted by Graham Sinclair. Vous participez au podcast ESG and Coffee offert par Graham Sinclair.
3: Okay, great. So let's take a breather. Grab a grab a sip of coffee um, while we uh, reboot. So let's go with now five fast espresso shot questions as our second set of five. Lisa, oh. are you ready? I am here we go. What app are you, Lisa, most likely to be viewing on your smartphone while waiting in line?
1: Sadly, Twitter. (laughs)
3: That's great. I found a journalist today at Bloomberg. It doesn't have Twitter. I'm still in shock. Um, What book did you enjoy reading recently?
1: Hmm, Mexican Gothic, which is a book by an author named Isabel Toledo. I'm actually in a book club. And so that was a book club read and Uh, it's a bit of a horror a gothic horror so it's creepy very different from what i would normally read (laughs) but uh i love to travel and i think part of the appeal during this lockdown period was to to, you know the book is focused is set in in mexico so it was kind of interesting to read about very evocative of of a particular time and place so i enjoyed that
3: yeah good good call Uh, yeah and not my genre but good call on on travel um -hmm. what is the best kind of pie Cherry pie. Oh, cherry nice, pie. nice. Do you have in, a favorite farm or brand or something? Like where do you get cherry pie? Um,
1: I don't really have a favorite. I mean, it's definitely like a farmer's market favorite. <laughs> so there are a few farmer's markets that I, but no, I don't have a favorite brand. I have a one of my good friends in Toronto makes cherry pie. So
2: wow, okay. Well, my yeah. favorite would be
1: Diana's cherry pie if I had my druthers.
3: There you go. Well, <laughs> if she does online deliveries, we'll drop in <laughs> I to that what is your favorite movie or on screen moment that relates to the world of investing
1: my goodness I thought about this a little bit, and I I it's Margot Robbie in um, is it in the big short there's a scene where she explains, she explains
3: it yeah is that the bubble bath scene,
1: yes, the oh. bubble bath scene, which I think is just so well done on so many levels. Okay.
3: um very nice so that yeah i love we'll that find, we'll find that clip and and drop that in good yeah um, and then finally of, the, of these five as an investment professional what was your most meaningful success so far you will have many more we know but so far what would you call your most meaningful success
1: my most meaningful success i think probably um it's working with a very large um family office mm-hmm. to um, help them to help them build out a sustainable investment strategy that was prior to my current role but it was yeah a very large family office and they're still they're still evolving they're at the beginning of their uh, journey but, yeah, yeah.
2: um
1: it's one of these things where the the, the third generation or the next generation yeah. is is influencing the older family members and i think that next generation also influences other young inheritors so yeah. it's all about, one, you know, the, the ripple effect of trying to get more and more folks to, to think about how they can bring an impact orientation uh, to their
3: investments. Wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, that You must hold on to that. That's very <laughs> yeah. Well done. Good. Okay. Deep dive part two. I'm mindful of our time. Yeah, so I'm just going to keep us moving along a little bit. I mean, yeah. um, So deep dive part two, looking at risk, cell discipline. Right. Um, one of my favorite things lately is I've looked at form ADVs, as you, you would assume, I what is it, is the architect and preparing for the interviews. And mm-hmm. uh, form ADV has a certain layout on risk and so on. So so it has your people who kind of reporting in, say, there's a variety of market, currency, economic, political, and business risks, and dot, dot, dot. And... Um, And then, quoting from your form ADV submission at Trillium, ESG policies could cause an account to perform differently compared to similar portfolios that do not have such policies. The application of ESG standards may affect a portfolio's exposure to certain issuers, industry sectors, factors that may impact the relative financial performance of the portfolio positively or negatively, depending on the investment. So just briefly, I mean, have you noticed that the form ADV doesn't use the word climate? and doesn't have the phrase environment social governance risks in it?
1: Hmm. I had not noted that.
2: Hmm. Um, no. Yeah. But I,
1: obviously, we think that we think, well, I think we're in a new era right now. We see the SEC appointing uh, a senior professional for ESG issues that they've invited. Mm-hmm. Um, Submissions on specifically on climate disclosure, and who knows? I mean, I think we're happily we're in an environment with a federal government that's much more sympathetic to um, requests for disclosure and you know increased transparency on the part of issuers. So maybe we'll see different guidance i'm, I'm wondering if there is some specific guidance around the format i don't know hmm. from a legal standpoint yeah, that's yeah. something i would want to check with our head of compliance but i imagine that there are um you know our head of compliance who i did talk to before this because there are a few things i'm like can i can yes. i say that
3: yes. like, we're not getting this podcast must be interesting can't get you fired that's my topic
1: exactly exactly um so i i don't know if there are specific legal or kind of compliance reasons, we haven't made Mm -hmm. uh, reference to those specific terms, but I also recognize that we're in a different, um, hopefully, paradigm,
2: uh,
1: and that I will expect a shift in, in how we talk about things and how we're permitted
2: to talk yeah. about things uh, yeah. going forward
3: yeah so oh, I think frankly and you know something that carries weight to whatever audience I'm talking to I just pull out Larry Fink's quote from 2018 January and his quote climate risk is investment huh. risk bam there it is its just like yeah. it's over right and ever since then it's just been a matter of time and, and kind of updating text and, and so on okay so uh, another key piece I want to unpack. The sell discipline, sell discipline. Mm -hmm. When do you choose to sell stocks? We're gonna pick up on our third deep dive around engagement and proxy voting. So this Mm -hmm. is more just like in the portfolios. So, Mm -hmm. and it's the hardest thing because emotions get wrapped up in what professionals do, we're human after all and investment shops try their best to be very disciplined. Um, So how would you describe your sell uh, discipline and uh, where and how do ESG issues trigger that sell discipline?
1: So what I would say is that our sell discipline is governed both by the strat- the portfolio strategy
2: mm-hmm.
1: and by stock specific analysis. Okay. So that you know okay. we're balancing like the overall portfolio versus what's going on in the individual stocks. Right. So you can sell the securities because you know our investment thesis was just didn't just didn't pan out the way we hoped or as we thought, right? Okay. The market, you know, can outlast any <laughs> any particular Yes. The irrationality of the of the market can outlast any particular investment, you know, i.e. GameStop, <laughs> which we would never own and, and don't own. Um and there's, you know, there's negative changes in a sector, in a company, um a material deterioration
2: mm-hmm. in ESG
1: mm-hmm. characteristics, and we definitely do sell um based on that. Mm-hmm. Um and then there's excessive, you know, like we take profits, like. this has run up enormously and it's just you know we are getting a little bit uncomfortable and with the valuation and so we we trim it back even though um yeah and we trim it back so i think all of those things can occur both in isolation and they often more often times they they influence one another like there's Mm -hmm. there's and you're right it's both art and science so there's you know that's why our you know our investment teams our portfolio managers uh or rather each of our strategies has a portfolio management team with a lead portfolio manager Mm -hmm. typically uh they come to consensus Mm -hmm. on you know additions deletions etc but the lead portfolio manager does have the final say if there's disagreement so Mm -hmm. it will be their decision about um you know selling out of a name
3: got it Okay. okay So, so link to that, uh, and that ties to talking about the cell discipline, and then o- uh, earlier your less than thirty word description on the same yeah, yeah. investment, which is long term, yeah. So yeah. often we say in in our theme of investing is we're looking for long term investments. We're looking to improve things over the long term for all stakeholders as well as shareholders. So. Uh, portfolio turnover is a key piece of that from your form adV in 2021 it says quote our aim is to keep portfolio turnover to roughly 20 to 40 percent per year unquote mm-hmm. and you know i know other um, portfolios are turning over hundred percent and and so how so could you just unpack just in a minute or two what is the approach to uh, portfolio turnover
1: yeah so we are long-term investors which means we typically um, when we identify a name, we are likely going to invest over, you know, we have a thesis that plays out over three to five years
2: mm-hmm.
1: and we don't expect barring unforeseen events, which happen all the time, <laughs>
2: right.
1: that we're going to be trading in and out of, of the name. And therefore I think in our course, our core fossil fuel free strategy, for example, the portfolio turnover is under 25%, uh, for this past year. that is, about the average that it's had,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, a couple of our strategies. So, sustainable opportunities, for example, has a slightly higher turnover. It's a more concentrated portfolio Thank as you. well. So that kind of reflects it has bigger, bigger uh, exposures to the names wow. in the portfolio, and a kind of a narrower band of names that it that has uh, that it has exposure to. Okay. So you might you know it's not that surprising that the portfolio turn is a little bit a little bit higher, but we are. Um, you know we're not traders. we're not chasing um you know we're trying to ignore the noise to the extent that we can
2: right
1: um one of we had a hilarious discussion just this past week where um one of our pms her son who is a young he's about 20 i think okay her son was like mom you know why don't you you know i've 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 i can beat you in terms <laughs> of um because you know, oh. I'm, I'm on Reddit and I'm following you
2: yeah. know, okay. you know all
1: this analysis you're doing is I'm not sure he said pointless, but right. he's basically yeah. like, hey, yep. I got this, and the more senior members of the team rolled their eyes and said, well, you know, you know, the apocalypse is nigh when when the kids and everybody. <laughs> And their uncle is crying about their, you know, and the ability to take driver
3: life. and yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So that, that is the kind of thing we're trying to, though right. so obviously, you know, the, the market, and particularly like in late January was, was completely frothy and,
2: right. you know,
1: unrelated to any fundamentals yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. And so it's a difficult for a shop like ourselves, you know, we're, we're just trying to navigate the eddies of that type of market while keeping sticking to our knitting as you know, it's a cliche, but that is what we're trying to do. We have a we have a, a belief around those elements that make for good. Um, that make for a good stock, like what is a good stock for us? It's a stock that, you know, has financial intent, you know, we're evaluating the financial integrity we want. Um, low we want uh, low leverage, and we want earnings and, you know, the typical guard. At a reasonable price.
2: You know? Okay. We're,
1: probably pay, we're willing to pay a little bit more, maybe. Yeah. than But to, but we are, you know. So we're we're core with a with a growthy tilt. Is I think how we would describe ourselves.
3: We're nice. not putting
1: in the mouths of our. portfolio Trade,
3: trademark. Yes, I like. That, <laughs> yeah.
1: that yeah. needs to be on a
3: T-shirt somewhere. All right. Yes. Yes. So uh, one more uh, piece on ESG, then coming to land with my last question for deep dive part two. Mm-hmm. So you know, as you said, no companies are perfect and no investments are perfect, right? Um, You will hold names and some of the ESG, parts of the ESG performance is good. Some of that ESG performance is less good slash disappointing. So how do you, how does your your shop and maybe with those two ESG specialists you described in the investment committee on each strategy, how do they make a decision on those trade-offs?
1: So we do have, um, So a set of, a small set of of negative screens, which just are exclusionary, right? So there's sectors we don't invest in, there's certain companies we just don't meet our standards. On the positive side, it's always a relative game within each sector. So we're looking to compare companies to their peers to understand how they manage their risks and opportunities, where they may have um, advantages that we think are uh, able, they can sustain over the long term. And that is that is combined with the financial analysis so there is um again it's art and science there's not um i'm trying to think of how to describe uh the weighing of these issues is really so the analyst makes a recommendation mm-hmm. based on their you know write-up of the company weighing both the financial and the esg perspectives mm-hmm. that's discussed at the investment management committee Mm -hmm. level. Um, We all can weigh in, uh, you know, so including members of my team, we attend those meetings. Um, We are feeding back things that we've heard and read. You know, some of our clients are very knowledgeable about specific ESG issues, so we can share um, their perspective. Kind of what what are you hearing about? Yeah. As well as what comes from from what the analysts themselves present. And, And then, you know, it's a bit of a a challenge session where, you know, okay. other analysts and the portfolio managers are really like, what about this? What about that? Is right. this really? Um, is this is this compelling. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, any new stock is running the gauntlet in that sense, and really getting getting the once over from from a, a huge range of viewpoints before right. it, makes it before it makes it onto our buy list.
2: Yeah.
1: So we need to feel we need to feel pretty comfortable, and I guess on the flip side, there are names that were previously on the buy. Well, a great example, you know, I think I could talk about Amazon. It's not on our buy list. It's it's never been on our buy list. We're not comfortable with the labor issues at that company, <laughs> despite the fact, you know, our and our um, our tech analyst, bless him, is I mean, he totally understands why it's not uh, an appropriate stock for our portfolios. But you know, he could argue from his point of view, like. It's a big hole right. if you don't have exposure to that name. You, you find them really...
3: staring off into the Boston Harbor view distance <laughs> like every <laughs> afternoon, right?
1: That's right. But they have actually been able to build, uh, to compensate for a lack of exposure yeah. to, to that name and, and some other names that we don't typically own uh, yeah. and, uh, you know, su- successfully navigate that. So it's a yeah. credit to, you know, the analysts and to the portfolio managers that they've been able to do that. And I guess we would argue, you know, our performance may deviate over the short term, but we think over the long-term we will outperform and uh, we are able to get there following a slightly different path perhaps, mm-hmm. um, but that is consistent with what we believe uh, is likely to be more robust
3: long-term performance. Good, okay, then coming into land with section two, Mm-hmm. Related to that in a way, greenwashing, right? Mm-hmm. So, quick question: Do you agree greenwashing is real, and how does it hurt the work that you do?
1: I think greenwashing is real if I understand it to be a set of claims about an approach or companies themselves mm-hmm. that are not um, that are not actually consistent with what is. Right. in the approach so there's a kind of a gap between what is said and what actually exists but i would actually argue and i only heard this term re- relatively recently okay. that green wishing is a uh, bigger okay. danger okay um and i heard this term from raj the Mortharam.
3: oh
2: yeah Oh you know right. raj oh
1: yeah he is a wonderful thinker
2: he's one um, of the originals yeah he yeah,
1: yeah definitely so must ask him about that so he was quoting someone else who wrote a paper on green wish
2: okay
1: and okay. essentially this idea that by you know kind of these small changes at the edges mm. we can solve climate change yeah we can address right. um, these deep intransigent intransigent types right. of uh problems yes. and essentially this paper and Raj's article was arguing there is, there is some need for policy change for regulatory involvement in order to address these issues. Voluntary initiatives won't get us all the way there,
2: yeah. which
1: I 100% agree yeah, I with. Agree.
3: I, I think that's fair. For me, it reminds me of, um, there's a great podcast, Alec uh, Baldwin uh, does a podcast called Here's oh. the Thing, and he yeah. interviewed um, uh, people, uh, uh, two humans who run sanitation in New York City,
2: yeah.
3: and they were talking about aspirational recycling and that okay. is when you kind of hope it's recyclable and you just put it in the recycling bin and the person you know on the other end is like come on dude it's like it's like an umbrella or something it's like, we're not yeah. recycling your umbrella okay so yeah so i see how greenwashing could
2: be it could be that
0: yeah okay. you're listening to the esg and coffee podcast hosted by graham sinclair Sie hören den ESG in Coffee Podcast. Ihr Gastgeber ist Graham Sinclair.
3: Um, grab another sip of your coffee. We're going to uh, shoot through with our section three or our third set of our five fast espresso questions.
2: You ready, Lisa? Ready.
3: All right, good. You're looking good. You're doing well. This is fun. We should do this more often. You have a favorite type of tree and what is it?
1: I was, I don't have a favorite type of tree, but I thought I do like bamboo a lot, which I'm not mm-hmm. sure if qualifies as a tree.
3: That's true. It's a type of grass, I, I think. It's a grass, I grass,
1: but I quite like bamboo. So
3: that's you. That's cool. All right. Good. And there is space in your ba- backdrop. We'll tell room Rater, just hold off on your rating because you're going to get a bamboo <laughs> plant on the corner there. Good. Um, what's one book on investing would you recommend?
1: So this is a book more on economics and maybe sociology it's called the end of slavery and Uh, it's by a wall street journal reporter named uh doug blackman okay blackman which i picked up um in the fall and it really um it's a book about how in the aftermath of the legal end of slavery, the economy of the Southern United States morphed to essentially reestablish it. Mm. And that slavery de jure, as well as de facto, didn't really end until after the Second World War. Wow. Uh, um, So it's not really an investing book per se, but it's something around the history and the economics of the United States. Um, It was very eye-opening to me. And I think it's really it's really helpful in understanding kind of where we are today. It's one yeah. of these you can't really understand where we are today without having an understanding of of history and and how it's how it impacts where we are. So
2: the end I of slavery.
3: Okay, thank you. Yeah. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, side note on that: uh, there was just recently a, a BBC series, three part series on um, Scotland. Mm-hmm. and how people in Scotland benefited from slavery. And it's also one of the, like, someone found some old papers, mm-hmm. and they, you know, explored it. And, you know, it's until you ask hard questions, and you go and do fresh research, and then you you don't really know. And then when you know, you need to update your your thinking. So That's right. we'll include that in the show notes. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. How is your own retirement fund invested?
1: It's invested in my... Um, in various Trillium strategies. And in fact, both my 401k and I have a separate IRA. Okay. Are invested not at, um, so I don't I have very little fixed income. Okay. Uh, I think instead of fixed, instead of the fixed income exposure, I, I invested at in a target date fund. Oh, <laughs> so cool. I'm, I'm kind of higher up on maybe on the risk uh, well, um, okay. appetite. Okay. But uh, yeah, uh, the expert, you know, Fixed income isn't isn't a great, isn't returning much right now or yeah. the foreseeable future. So,
3: yeah. yes. And we're all going to work till we're 100 anyway because of yeah. You know, so that. Um, yeah. So, can definitely ride out the next downturn. Yeah. Uh, what would your advice be to Lisa, age 17 years old today?
1: Don't drop calculus. <laughs> <laughs>
3: noted i think noted
2: yeah yeah
3: what is your advice to people seeking to enter the field of esg investment and finance tomorrow
2: so
1: i get a lot of uh requests from students and you know career changers for for advice and i think it's been particularly hard during uh, the pandemic because the normal um venues and places where you might be able to network have not been available it is about networking and educating yourself. I would encourage uh, those who are interested to take advantage of some of the free resources available, yeah, like yeah. Uh, Basic, oh. uh, building a sustainable- That's a Boston investment. area
3: sustainable investment. That's-
1: well, they rebranded themselves as oh. Building a Sustainable Investment Community a few years oh, really? ago. Oh, OK. Yeah, because they have, uh, uh, they have a chapter in New York now, and I think they have a chapter in San Francisco, if I'm not Mistaken. There's also another group uh, for young women, kind of young to mid-career women called WISE, Women Investing in a Sustainable Economy.
3: Right. Okay. good.
1: Um, There are a couple of different uh, um, kind of educational uh, online. There's the Sustainable Professional Investment Certificate, SPIC, I think. Yes. Um, available through uh, Concordia University in Montreal. Mm-hmm. Uh, PRI yeah. is offering
2: training that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: as well. I think it's worthwhile um, and, you know, kind of exploring that.
2: Right.
1: Yeah. So I guess my 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 first recommendation is there are lots of online resources. Right. Figure out where they are. I I uh, speak a lot to, to like student groups or in, as a guest lecturer, and I'm always happy. Um, though I have more less and less time to do it, you know, to offer students kind of a half an hour of of like a time. I I for a while I tried to book like half an hour every other week as my like office hour where, you know, if, if there was a student who wanted to yeah. to pick up the brains. Um, that is increasingly diminishing because yeah. there's just I don't know if you find this grain but I find even though I'm at home and in theory have more time because I don't have to commute. Right like i get to the like at 6 30 and i'm like i'm not finished yet i still have things to do that
3: email that you're going to knock out before 10 is still right there um
1: yeah so i guess my my, the short answer to that is take advantage of uh the listservs the networks um there's so many more programs uh on esg investing than there ever were lectures Right. And hopefully, once the um, economy opens up again, after we all are vaccinated, um, right. there will be opportunities to get together, network, um, learn,
3: connect. Excellent. Uh, good. And you, you can point them to this podcast because now you don't have to share that message. I can. <laughs> <Excellent. Good>. Listen <laughs> right.
1: to William's podcast
2: is yeah. another We covered this.
3: We covered this. Um, all right. Deep dive part three and then we'll come into land. Um, some more detail, could you talk a bit um, on the performance of the various mm-hmm. strategies, just the cash performance and all the ESG performance, um, you know, not too heavy a uh, deep dive people can go online and, and check it out for themselves, but maybe something that's not on the page.
1: Yeah, so um, what I will say as a caveat first off is that advertising is verboten for um, Trillium, because we have mutual funds, and I invite anyone who's interested in the financial performance to check out the fact sheets, which are available on the website. Um, But I really like the question about impact performance. So we have, as I mentioned earlier, um, published impact reports on a strategy basis, as well as a firm-wide basis uh, for the last, I think we're now in the fifth year of doing that. And so we track things like The number of companies, we've engaged over a 1,000 companies over the
2: past year. That's a lot. 1,089.
1: We have a five-person advocacy team. Wow. That's separate from ESG research. So Mm. five full-time people dedicated to advocacy. I think it might be one of the biggest teams, if not Mm. the biggest teams, in the United States that's Mm. wholly dedicated to advocacy. And so we are engaging Companies in our portfolio on multiple issues. So each, and what we found is that, you know, you build relationships over time. Mm. You build a trust relationship. You have, you bring other investors into the discussion. We're using all the tools at our disposal. Okay. So the proxy process.
2: Yeah.
1: Including and dialogue, including uh, filing shareholder resolutions, but oftentimes we're withdrawing. I think we filed. um, We file typically two dozen annually okay. and we probably withdraw half of those typically okay. in a year and that's as a result of negotiation a negotiated agreement okay. that we have reached
3: so um, I'll unpack that a bit I, um, I want to cover it later let's cover it now so because uh, to many people they've got you know a lot of people talk about this but very few people kind of unpack so what happens exactly how awkward or stunted uh, is that conversation and partly, this reminds me of when I was first started teaching in 2007 to MBAs at uh, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, Keenan Flagler Business School. I would have the Harvard Business School case study, uh, Norway Sells Walmart was the title of the case. And really, the protagonist, the knot, was simply around the Norwegian sovereign wealth fund sent requests for information to Arkansas. And... Mm-hmm somehow they just fudged that and they never go back to them and then mm-hmm. they got very upset and it became like an international incident when mm-hmm. suddenly Walmart was sold by the Norwegian uh, sovereign wealth fund so right. many people don't understand just the basics of how do these conversations happen and and what goes forward to become a proxy resolution and what gets you know, pulled back
2: okay
1: so I would start off by saying that we on an annual basis are determining kind of the themes of our focus uh, okay. for engagement. Climate change has always been, and likely always will be a very significant aspect and manifests in different ways, because uh, in addition to the things I talked about, science-based targets and, and disclosure, we're, we're, we're looking at how and where climate change is impacting companies outside of the kind of production area. So financing is a big area that we've been focusing on financing of, of um climate intensive activities. Okay. So maybe a great example of a recent engagement is with Bank of America around financing of Arctic drilling. So we've had ongoing discussions with Bank of America
2: mm-hmm.
1: for several years, um, encouraging them to adopt uh, more detailed um, ESG guidelines around their lending and underwriting activity. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been part of initiatives like the carbon 100 plus uh, initiative engaging with companies around supply chain issues and uh, in terms of banks around criteria around lending and underwriting. So Bank of America, um, and we we brought together a coalition of investors uh, around that issue. And initially, the discussions, though, um, you know, respectful, and uh, I don't want to say, they were, they were, Useful, but the, we reached an impasse in terms of right. uh, the bank being able to get to the point of being, of uh, agreeing to uh, a moratorium on financing of Arctic drilling. And so we filed a shareholder resolution. Mm-hmm. And in the fall of, of 2020, in fact, in December, we were able to announce that the company had a, we withdrew our, our proposal because the company agreed to cease. <clears throat> all funding Uh of new uh drilling and Uh exploration in the arctic Uh and i think you know the the dialogue is it's based on having so we are long-term holders of the stock Uh we were able to bring together a large coalition of investors including some very large pension plans which hold the stock Okay. This is a okay. huge company which is widely held. Right. Right. Um and so likely most investors hold some Bank of America stock right. if they have exposure to large cap companies in the US. Mm-hmm. So there's the um there's the long-term relationship, there's the expertise that we have built on the topic, okay. the relationships that we have within the company, mm-hmm. within the investor community, within community groups on the ground. So we're kind of serving as the apex of, the, of, of a bunch of different, or maybe the middle of a bunch of con- overlapping concentric circles, yes. bringing yes. the investor voice, the investor argument to the table. So we're not, we're open and listening to activists. We're open and listening to the company. We are investors and we're driving through the view of investors. We okay. completely believe our fiduciary duty requires us to raise these issues and it's in the company's long-term interest to address these issues period. So um
3: and so so was that conversation with head of sustainability head of financing within uh, investor relations like who who did you meet with or who who were you trying to to engage to change the company.
1: So I I was not involved in that engagement so I cannot say 100% and I can certainly come back to you with details of whom we met with specifically. I think there's a bit of both and its investor relations and the sustainability people, um, they have a significant you know ESG team internally mm-hmm. now that um, we have relationships with and have built relationships with, with over time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: In the past, I've often heard um, some of the work that we do as engagement professionals to be akin to kind of working with folks. You know, we're allies. We're allying with folks internally who are making the case about these pesky investors who keep on asking yeah, right. for these okay, reports yeah. and this yep. disclosure you know um and i jokingly say you know if you need us to be the bad guy yeah, right. by all means make us up, a bad right. guy. Yeah. but but there's also the attitude that to your point about larry fink there is an increasing recognition from the absolute top echelons of firms that these issues are significant cannot be ignored and there has to be a robust, thoughtful response that it's not simply so often it's about, you know, maybe we have disagreements about the timing of how yeah. quickly companies can move in this direction, okay. the kind of comprehensiveness of what right. they can do, you know, right. so we're always going to push on, like, can you do a bit more,
2: Right.
1: Um, can, can you commit to this, maybe not this year, but, you know, next right. year or what, you know, what, over what time frame can we see, um, you know, some reporting, some improvement in performance on this. Um, And and frankly, sometimes companies surprise us. Like I had an example of Starbucks, which has committed to reducing its plastics um, uh, waste by 50% by 2030. I mean, that's 10 years away. Yeah. They're going to have to reformulate their, I mean, I actually had a,
2: I'm pretty uh, sure that I've
3: been working on that new cup with um, the team at um, closed loop partners, for example.
1: Yes. Um, I, somewhere I have here. Let me see if I have. Yeah. They have committed to reducing waste sent to landfill. Sorry, by 50% by 2030, including plastic. So it's actually waste, solid waste. Yeah. But that will involve completely retooling how they collect and manage waste from every store.
2: Yeah. So that's significant. So that, that's
1: impressive. And when you know, when you have a company like that make that kind of commitment, we are going to hold that up and say, "Hey, all your other sector peers."
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Starbucks has laid down the gauntlet, and we're expecting you to, yeah, yeah. to step and up.
3: That, that ties to my current favor, which is around Hello Fresh, that food preparation business. I know there's Blue Apron, and many others, what have you. Yeah. So we finally broke down during uh, you know COVID lockdown. Uh, and decided to get some of it again acknowledging our privilege and we have food and many people have food, but so we got it and then we tried it and then you know as a house we sat down and said well it's a lot of plastic here
2: mm-hmm. and so we
3: actually have cancelled our subscription sadly I mean we it tastes delicious we love the convenience but we're not up for that much plastic like there has to be another way so I know that's outside of your realm I think they listed in uh, the Netherlands or Germany or something but uh,
1: I, I'm completely on the same page. I also had a subscription. I also cancelled it for similar reasons.
3: Yeah. And
1: um, loved, loved the, you know, the love the recipes, but yeah. Yeah. not a fan of the waste.
3: Alright, so. well, we can start a kind of a micro investor movement. Tool yeah, that. that would be great. <laughs> Um, Okay, so let's land a deep dive part three here. I'm just mindful. We've had such a great conversation. Uh, We're running a little bit late. So Mm -hmm. uh, ESG in a hundred moments. So I'm working on this book, book project, Gene Rogers, the founder of SASB has encouraged me Mm -hmm. to go forward with it. So it's happening. It's a history of ESG in a hundred moments and it's going to be accessible. It's not going to be a thick tome. It's going to, there's going to be pictures and, 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 you know, visually interesting. and if I had to show you this book, Lisa, and you, you had to flip through it one day, and then you finished flipping through it, and you would look up and go, well, hang on, Graham. This is the most important moment, and I didn't see it here. What would that one most important moment be?
1: So I honestly think, and it probably would be in your book, was uh, the disclosure, the complier dis- explained disclosure regulation for pension funds in the UK, which was mm. passed. In the early 2000s, which was hugely um, beneficial and stimulative right. for the growth and demand for ESG research and analytics, um, and I, you know, I I think that that was really significant. Certainly, my mm-hmm. previous firm where I worked at Iris experienced enormous growth
2: right. in
1: the, the ten years subsequent to that, uh, the passage. I think that passed in 2003
3: yeah um, so that's what i would say okay excellent thank you now uh, that's a it's a very very good suggestion all
1: right you're listening to the esg and coffee podcast hosted by graham sinclair the ESG and coffee podcast Swami graham
0: sinclair
3: all right so let's come into land then with our fourth and final set of espresso shot questions and again very short And there is no wrong answer i'm very interested to see what some of the answers are Uh, are you ready yes all right here we go what is your favorite word
1: my favorite word is
3: bliss Ah. what is your least favorite word i
1: don't know pass I can't think of my least
3: favorite word. Pass. That's what the rugby players say. You know. You... <laughs> what profession, other than your own, would you like to attempt?
1: I always thought I'd be a lawyer. So.
3: What profession, other than your own, would you not like to attempt?
1: I would not want to be a surgeon. Ah,
3: yeah. I think <laughs> on that. Um, what attribute doesn't excellent investor have?
1: Uh, humility. Oh,
3: humility. Okay. Which living person do you most admire?
1: Brian Stevenson. He was the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative. Okay. Just based in Alabama, which um, so he is the author of a book which was turned into a movie called Just Mercy. Oh. Uh, EJI fights for um, death row inmates hmm. who uh, are wrongfully convicted. And uh, he's an amazing uh, writer, speaker, humanitarian.
2: Wonderful. I highly
1: recommend the film if you haven't seen it.
3: Wonderful. All right. We'll put that in the show note. Thank you. Um, what talent would you most like to have?
1: I would like to be able to... Well, I was at uh, C.
3: C. What do you consider your greatest achievement?
1: I, what is my greatest achievement? I'm not sure how to answer that. I think I've been... You know what? I, I think I'm a really excellent friend.
2: Ah, i a very
1: good friend. I have friends... Around the world, and I think there are any number of people amongst my friend group who would mm. uh, who would hold me up as as an example of a good friend.
3: Ah, wonderful, wonderful. Mm-hmm. And what is your idea of perfect happiness?
1: That's easy. It is to be at sunrise on a beach doing yoga.
3: I, I knew it had beach in there somewhere. I wasn't <laughs> sure what was going to happen on the beach, but I had beach. So, yeah, thank you. Thanks so much. So uh, an action question now um, for our audience. Um, you know me, I'm action-oriented, I'm about the how, let's get stuff done. What action would you ask of the audience wherever they live on the investment value chain, or however big or small they are? What action would you ask them to take?
1: So, um, Whatever type of investment um, professional you are, or even if you aren't an investment professional, I would want to encourage your listeners to uh, get familiar with what they own. Mm-hmm. Know what you own, I think, is my encouragement to you. And uh, get more demanding as Excellent. an investment as an investor of your, of the folks who work for you.
3: Excellent. Uh, I second that, hereby seconded. Um, right, and so to the final Goldilocks question, Lisa. Um, one share of Tesla, TSLA is trading on NASDAQ today at around $675, up 1.27%, as always with Tesla, never a flat day. Is that too high, too low, or just right?
1: I mean, I think it's too high and that is because I, this is a, I have a, an ongoing discussion about Tesla with a good friend of mine who thinks Elon Musk is the cat's meow. Right. Um, I think Elon Musk is a wonderful entrepreneur, a visionary, and I also have significant concerns around governance at Tesla, around uh, a number of labor uh, issues. So I would not feel comfortable myself owning Tesla.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And actually, let me let me caveat that. Tesla may well go higher, so maybe it is too low, but it won't have, it won't, um, Tesla's current price does not fully integrate the concerns that I have around um, governance or um, labor
3: issues. Got so it. that's what Got I would it. say. Thank you, thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, um, we've gone a bit long, but that's great because it's been a fantastic conversation. You've been a fine guest, Lisa Hales, Investor Manager at Trillium Asset Management. You are one of the originals, as I've told you before. Thank you for your hard work over many years and making new paths uh, in, in investment and the business of investment. I like to say the investments you make become the world that we all live in. So thank you so much for trying to make it better. And thank you so much for choosing to join me on the esg and coffee podcast
1: it's my absolute pleasure thank you graham for the opportunity and looking forward to hearing many more of these wonderful interviews
3: thank you
0: and now we keep the tape rolling to hear from graham and his guest as they reflect on their discussion and anything they wanted to add
3: So, this is a moment for me and my guest, Lisa, to reflect on what we covered and what we missed or what we wish we had said differently. So, uh, anything you'd like to offer in terms of what you really wanted to get to and we'd never got to it?
1: Um, You know, I could have talked a lot more about engagement, uh, which is my true love. I would just say that, you know, I think it's really. I think being an active owner is an absolute necessity. It's part of fiduciary responsibility yeah, for yeah. investors, and impact in the equity space has to be linked to engaging actively uh, with companies in your portfolio and, frankly, with policymakers.
2: Right. Um, right. You know, yeah. to my
1: point yeah. about the green wish, yeah. there's issues yeah. that absolutely require policy intervention, and mm. investors can't really. I don't believe they should stand on the sidelines. I guess yeah. that's a normative.
2: Yeah,
1: we, we, you know, my my firm has done a huge paper on civic engagement, which isn't directly related to right. investing or in really any of the companies in our portfolio, but having a functioning democracy really does have an influence on yeah. kind of the it's market. Not gonna,
3: it's not going to build itself, right? So people going to.
1: It's not going to build itself. So, I think that's that's an area that I think is very important, and um, would like to see. You know more, more light directed to, more focus directed to engagement. I mean, Trillium is known for that. It's obviously an area. It's part of what appealed to me as, mm-hmm. as someone who's who joined the firm recently. I've been fortunate that I've worked with firms that have been very active mm-hmm. on the engagement side. Um, and so that to me just seems, you know, it seems like a no brainer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So.
3: And and then so the question that always comes up, and and I've asked elsewhere, is, you know, active and um, active management, uh, there's a fee associated, all performance is net of fees and and, so part of the appeal of the collective uh, vehicles like an ETF is that you're sharing the cost of that. Even a mutual fund, in some ways, you're sharing the cost of that expertise spread across you know thousands and millions of of, of customers. Um, so someone has to pay for the specialist to then do the engagements and all cost money, of course. And some people argue, well, if we perform the service, then there's this long tail of free riders who are going to get our engagement for free. So what is your reflection on, on that argument?
1: I mean, it's not. There is some truth to that argument that there are free riders who um, benefit from who benefit from the engagement that some of the more active engagers um are responsible for there's absolutely that is absolutely true Uh, at the same time i think we believe that the investment value chain and financial markets are not operating in a way that benefits our clients as, as it should, frankly. Mm-hmm. Or rather, our clients are very privileged because they have significant assets, but they are concerned about ways that the market is skewed unfairly, and so are we. And mm-hmm. so we are determined to act in ways that try and rein in some of the you know, most extreme uh, un- unfair aspects of the way the market yeah. operates. And we're also trying to influence other investors Mm. to recognize why these, these kind of excesses need to be addressed. And I mean, the fact that someone else could benefit from that is, you know, that would not stop us from doing it because we just think it's the right thing to do. It's like other people may benefit, but that's not a reason not to do it.
3: Right. Right. Good. Thank you. Um, anything else you'd like to clarify? I'm
1: trying to think if there's any word that I could give you instead of "pass," my for my <laughs> worst word, my least favorite word, <laughs> something to do with, you know, being coerced or being forced to do something, but
3: hmm. compelled, compulsion, oh, compulsion, compulsion.
1: Yeah, maybe, but. Um, I'm sure if I reflected, I could come up with other things I wanted to clarify. But I'm really appreciative of the opportunity to speak to you. Yeah. I thought it was great, really, really great questions and, and thoughtful framing, and a, and a super super initiative. You know, I think. Thank you very uh, much. Look forward to hearing some. I'm serious about wanting to listen to some other interviews. I think um, there'll be some really good discussions.
3: Well, now I'll take a few moments just to run through some episode high points from my interview with Lisa Hales, Investor Manager at Trillium Asset Management. First up, I, I hope it was clear to you that Lisa works on the asset gathering end of the investment value chain, and she's working currently at Trillium Asset Management. They're a long-standing specialist ESG positive investment firm uh, based in the northeast of the U.S., with offices uh, in more and more cities, I've, I've noticed. They're an active investment manager, so they're looking to select uh, ha- however many companies fit their portfolio strategies from all the available companies that are out there within the limits of areas they th- where they exclude, areas that they focus on, areas where they engage companies on. Uh, in the approach... To selecting their companies, they're going to exclude companies for negative social or environmental performance, uh, and they're looking to invest in firms with positive ESG performance. I hope it came across in her her comments, Lisa is, as she described, engagement is her true love. Uh, It's the work of active investors who know ESG factors are not properly weighed in business as usual today in the way that the markets and capitalism is working. And so they roll up their sleeves and, and get involved to isolate the ones that make the most sense for the various companies that they're investing in, the ones that are most strategic in the sector. They have the shop in the shop. They have the ESG specialist to help kind of outline what's happening at the sector level. But intriguing was that each fundamental analyst themselves will be doing that ESG work as part of the fundamental analysis of companies. For me, that is the better practice where I'm looking to advise investment managers on setting up the architecture and processes of their shops. Also importantly, that it's not just looking narrowly at portfolio companies. Trillium has done work supporting a group of more than 150 businesses calling for the passing of the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. There's a show note that I'll link through to that. Uh, Trillium is recognized in the industry for its shareholder advocacy work. You would, we've seen them over many, many years working with consortia, looking to bring forward proxy actions or engage with companies on a variety of ESG issues. And so I, also in the show notes I've included... The link to the Alphabet, uh, that's the Google parent, the Alphabet 2021 shareholder meeting where Trillium presented the the votes on whistleblower protections. In the event, it didn't pass, but I think you'll enjoy listening to it to understand the mechanics of that. Secondly, uh, Trillium's approach is marketed as, quote, active portfolios, global impact, putting assets into action since 1982, unquote. That's on the front page of their website. As with all U.S. registered firms, uh, they're regulated by the Securities Exchange Commission in the U.S., so they have the form ADV, and there's a link to that in the show note, and we referenced that a bit in, in the interview. It goes to describe, quote, we begin with the universe of liquid publicly traded U.S. stocks and American depository receipts with market capitalizations greater than $250 million, that pass our exclusionary ESG criteria, unquote. In the approach that they uh, they take at Trillium across most of their strategies, I think, uh, they're looking for financial returns on investment, business strategy, strength, growth, and earnings quality, profitability and efficiency, and financial leverage, unquote. Uh, new to me at the time of the interview, I was unaware that the Australian financial services firm Perpetual Limited Uh, had uh, purchased a stake in Trillium. Uh, But good to know that Trillium is still a certified B Corp. And um, I'll include that in the show notes. I'm a big fan of B Corp's. It helps align in the articles of association, in the way the firm is run. It helps align not just profit maximization, cash seeking, but all the mission oriented aspects of a particular business. I think Trillium currently uh, has around, I think, 4.3 billion uh, US dollars in assets under management, at least it did at the end of Q1 of 2021. Third high point is that uh, Trillium's approach looks at the incorporation of the ESG factors. They're trying to deliver risk-adjusted long-term investment performance. It wasn't quite defined in our interview. I think if you listen carefully between the lines, you can kind of hear the intimation of where that's at. And also, frankly, the offering to their clients of some kind of private equity exposure. We didn't have time to drill down into that. Maybe when we uh, have our private equity series, we'll, we'll have them back to talk a bit more about what their approach is. Also, that the approach to looking at the ESG data is driven very much by the fundamental analysts who are doing the work. Again, I think that's the better way to go. They do create their own scores for the ESG performance of of the company that the analysts will then use to determine which companies to put in the universe and track in, in the buy list. Fourthly, Lisa talks about the significant work that they're doing at Trillian on mapping diversity at portfolio companies. I think this is new, this is novel, um, and it's important. It's primary research, and frankly, it's part of a conversation that I think most companies are now expecting to have with their investors or with uh, all their stakeholders, for that matter. Uh, Subsequent to our interview being taped uh, at uh, the end of spring, Trillium has now released a high-level version, a summary of that report. It's called Trillium's 2021 Investment Team Racial Equity Project Overview and Outcomes. There's a link to that in the show notes. I encourage you to have a look at it. It's quite short, but it certainly gives you an indication of of where they're heading. That project is still ongoing. I'm also hoping to uh, do some academic research uh, on on some of that, depending on how it comes out and what the access to that uh, information is. Uh, and the fact that uh, Trillium is very active again was demonstrated if you look at their filing to the SEC call for information. Uh, the SEC requested input, uh, input on climate change and ESG uh, submitted in June 2021. I'll include that in the show notes as well. What is unexpected to me, Will, I didn't expect Lisa's favorite word to be bliss. Um, I'm still waiting for her to tell me what her least favorite word is. Maybe maybe it's compulsion. Maybe, maybe it's not. Um, did not expect her to have kind of the gothic horror novel uh, interest in, in a book club. But hey, we all need something different to, to clear the brain after a long day in investment land. Um, also uh, new to me was learning that Trillium advocated with over a 1,000, um, uh, sorry, with uh, around 80 other investors representing 620 billion in assets. That led to the decision... Uh, announced a year ago on the 13th of July 2020 that the Washington uh, American football team was retiring its name, mascot, and logo. And that was a direct result of engagement with sponsors and shareholders, as well as decades of Native American or First Peoples led advocacy. And finally, I hope you two were uplifted by Lisa's positive attitude and enthusiasm. Uh, Whether you agree or disagree with her, um, you have different ideas about uh, what the approach should be or the strategy, there's no doubting her hard work and after a conversation with her, you also feel engaged and energized and uplifted and I really appreciate and respect that about her. Follow Lisa on Twitter and LinkedIn, that's all in the show notes. Below, she's very very busy, but hopefully because of this interview, you've got to know her better, and uh, and you can continue to track her career and maybe find ways to collaborate with her. So thank you very much again for listening. As always, ESG and Coffee podcast is not recommending any securities to buy or sell. Do your own research. Please do give us feedback uh, on Twitter at ESG and Coffee. And uh, look out there, too, for more items on upcoming episodes. And please come back to us with suggestions on compelling guests that we should interview, some of those originals who've been doing ESG investment for longer than the last bonus cycle. Thank you very much for listening, and I look forward to sharing our next interview with you soon.
0: We hope you enjoyed the interview with one of the originals in investing, strategy, and sustainability. Please subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform or on YouTube and leave a five-star review. Bad reviews you can send to Graham Sinclair at ESG Architect. All the details are in the show notes. And for news of our next guests, follow us on Twitter or Instagram at ESG and Coffee. Do you know an impressive human we should absolutely interview on investment strategy and sustainability? please let us know on Twitter at ESG and Coffee. Our producer is Kat Farquharson on Twitter at Kat Farquharson and original music by Erin Bonney on Twitter at Aaron Bonney Music. And of course, this podcast is for your enlightenment, not investment advice. Do your own research.
3: You have been listening to the ESG and Coffee podcast on investing, strategy, and sustainability hosted by Graham Sinclair.